Hi, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. It's episode number 73 today. I'm your host, Phil Huber, joined by John Doyle and Logan Whitmer. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the current issue of Woodsmith Magazine, planning and designing projects, and a whole host of other topics. So I hope you enjoy today's show. This episode of the Shop Notes podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Magazine. Woodsmith Magazine has been the trusted source for all your woodworking information for over 40 years. From tips and techniques to furniture projects to shop projects, you'll find it all at Woodsmith Magazine. Subscribe today at woodsmith.com. Now, at the risk of this turning into another long discussion on Logan and his sawmill, not that that's a bad thing. It's always a risk. You were out sawing yesterday. Yeah, it was. And uh, one of the things that you had mentioned, I think the day before when you told us that you were going to be out, is that you've been sawing a bunch of white oak recently Mm -hmm. and how it's kind of turning into a favorite. And I was wondering if you'd elaborate on that. Like, what do you mean? What makes it a favorite for you now? So when I had messaged you guys saying it was one of my favorites, it was, I was, uh, I had been in Cedar Rapids this last weekend, um, finishing up some sawing I had there. Uh, and because I had basically an empty truck, I ended up bringing home some of the derecho wood that I milled last summer, um, to the trees at one of my grandpa's house was, uh, one was a Norway maple and was what a white Oak. And I have, this summer already milled some white oak. Um, last summer I milled that white oak. And then just yesterday I milled a bunch of white oak. And I don't know what it is. There's something about quarter sawn white oak that is just good looking to me. And, may, and maybe it's just because it is um, a really traditional American furniture wood. You know, you got a lot of different types of furniture. Uh, or styles of furniture that are made out of white oak. Um, it's just, it's just the classic to me. Now it doesn't, I know, I know it doesn't work in everybody's house. Um, it's not everybody's style. Um, but I just like you crack open a white oak log and you get down to those center three cuts out of like the pith and then the cut above and below it. And it's just pure, true quarter sawn white oak. Ugh. It's like, makes me weak at the knees. I don't, <laughs> and it cuts very nicely. For being a hard wood, I, I know a lot of people, um, when I'm out milling for them, a lot of people think, oh, it's the harder the wood, the harder it is to saw. And while, yeah, that can be the case, uh, the hardness of the wood doesn't really affect a sharp bandsaw blade it more affects the durability of the blade um, because of the heat that is generated. Um, But it cuts nice. Um, Depends on where the tree grew. It can be relatively not free, um, which is really nice when you get just really clean white oak. Um, A lot of stuff I cut yesterday was, it was a timber stand that was getting um, cleared for a development, unfortunately. Um, and because of that, they grew in a forest. So they were straight. They were long. Um, you know, I had really, I could really choose my log length. So I had um, almost everything cut at 10 foot. Um, and when 
uh, when we got into the logs, I mean, there was hardly any knots in them. Um, you, you always get around the pith is considered the defect zone because that is when the tree was young and it was growing limbs and stuff. And those get shaded yeah. out and they get buried in the in the next cambium layer and then they get, you know, wrapped up into the tree. So you always have some in the pith. Um, but, yeah, it's just I just enjoy it. I really like it. And, and not to sound too uh, hoity-toity or anything, but it's nice to saw something different than walnut. Sure. You know, so... Yeah, and it, and quite honestly, I enjoy the quarter sawing. Like you can quarter saw on a bandsaw. It's kind of a ghetto quarter sawing. It's a it's a different way to do it. And it's not a true quarter saw, but you can yield about sixty. I'm gonna say fifty to sixty percent quarter sawn lumber out of a log on a bandsaw mill. Um, and okay. I just I enjoy that process. So yeah, it was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because most of your other sawing is, I don't know, what do they call it? Plain, Plain sawing song. or through and through yep. or whatever. Yeah, and I've been doing uh, I've been doing a lot more. I think I've told you guys this, and I probably said it on the podcast, so you guys can write in and tell us how I keep talking about the same things and never shut up about it. I started, when I started sawing, I was sawing um, live sawings, they call it, where you leave the bark on the edges. So you basically ended up with, you know, air quote slabs of wood with live edge. And that works nicely to stack one log but now that i'm you know you're down this journey i'm getting a lot of lumber and it's a whole lot easier for me to build a four foot wide by six seven eight foot tall stack of walnut than it is to stack 12 walnut logs so um so i've been mainly turning stuff into cans and then just plain sawing it so the plain sawing yields about it yields about 30 30 30 so it, it yields about you know 30 percent flat sawn or plain sawn 30 percent riff sawn and 30 percent quarter sawn so it's just a good mixture um right so a uh, little little different when it's something like white oak you can increase the dollar value of that lumber by quarter sawing it um but you're also losing some weight. So I guess it probably, there's, I guess probably a balancing point there where it doesn't really matter. But um, right. yeah, I just, I, I really enjoy the process. Quarter sawing oaks a blast. I, I love it. I like seeing, and, and it's fun because you get those medullary rays and some trees are just absolutely full of them. And some trees you quarter saw and like, is this really quarter sawing? Cause I don't see any. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah. So I have a question going back to uh, talking about Cedar Rapids yeah. and the derecho trees. Uh, you spend a lot of time there um, milling lumber. Have you seen uh, like one tree species more affected by the storm than like being knocked down than others, or is it just it's, all the trees? That that's there? a weird question because when I went to help clean up a friend of mine's timber that we deer hunt almost every tree that got knocked down or topped there was a shag bark hickory like the white well the white oaks kind of they they got branches broken so they kind of got topped but every tree that fell like completely was a hickory and i don't know why that was um 
around Cedar Rapids, it was a real mixture. I, I guess I notice I probably notice the ash more than anything because there are so many more ash. I think I think the city of Cedar Rapids mm-hmm. 35, 40 years ago went haywire and just planted a ton of ash trees. So I see that more than anything. Um, but I think sure. I think I think equal percentage of tree species were affected, to be honest with you. So hmm. yeah. Interesting. But just it's a it's a weird you know, I know we've talked about the Drake Show before. It's a weird landscape to go back there because what I grew up looking at around my grandpa's house, you, you don't realize how much the trees become part of the neighborhood. So it's like oh, standing yeah. in his driveway. I'm like, I if I wasn't standing in his driveway, I would have a really hard time recognizing his street. So it's just very odd. But mm-hmm. yeah. 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 It'd be interesting to see like in 100 years from now what the tree situation would be like because i see a lot less ashes mm-hmm. probably being planted than what has been in the past but just because of the emerald yeah. ash borer i think that's kind of gone out of style what people will plant and grow yeah. in its place you know on uh, still on so. the cedar rapids note our buddy matt cremona was down here jacking a huge cherry tree from cedar rapids why don't you stay in your own state matt you know don't be coming. <laughs> yeah. Shots fired. Like, like, I don't know if you guys saw that, but he was down here with uh, uh, Black Horse Customs, I think, uh, or Black Horse Woodwork, uh, picking up a huge cherry tree, like a 40-some inch cherry tree. And I have never seen one of those. Like, I've never seen a cherry tree that big in Iowa. So hmm. it's kind of interesting. They flatbedded it back up to Minneapolis. So, yeah. Crazy. I wonder also if, you know, I mean, certainly around Iowa, there's a lot of forested areas that took a derecho hit. But I wonder if in town, especially like in Cedar Rapids, if being city trees kind of levels the playing field, you know, for trees to make them all equally vulnerable, or if there were specific species that fared yeah, better know. than others. Um, because I, that would be a question for a forester. Yeah. So if, mm-hmm. if we have any forestry folk out there listening, we would love to hear from you on that. Yeah, because you would think uh, the strength and flexibility of the wood would come into play, but also the shape of the canopy, Yeah, that how it catches wind. Yeah, would yeah. Also which I guess what would be, again, another question for forestry folk, what would be more vulnerable, a forest tree that is kind of like a you know palm tree shaped where they're tall skinny and then they have a canopy up top to reach the sunlight mm-hmm. or yeah. would a city tree be more vulnerable because they spread out and they're a, basically a bigger kite i guess you know i don't know that's that's kind of an interesting question yeah so but because i remember and i don't re- i have to think look up the book now it was a guy who he's a forester in europe and was talking about it's like Secret Life mm-hmm. of Trees or something related to that, where he talked about how trees in a forest uh, are interdependent and then compared that to city trees, where it's can be somewhat forest-like, depending on, mm-hmm. you know, the age of the neighborhood and, you know, the kind of tree cover that's around there. Um, but then also how city trees are usually more stressed 
as a tree just because of dealing with uh, concentrated pollution, not having the same kind of, you know, having more soil covered because of pavement and sidewalks and houses and that kind of thing. Um, and you get like the heat island effect and all that kind of stuff. So I was wondering if that, you know, if, if those stresses placed on a tree makes them more equal yeah. when it comes to a damaging event. I know around here a few times they've had, you know, we've had highway projects where you have forest that kind of encroached on the highway. And then as they did the work, they kind of peeled off the outer layer of trees and then we get like a big rain event. And then that next layer of trees was vulnerable. So you see a bunch of those topple down in yeah. ice storms or a wind event or something yeah. like that. I don't know. You know, the, it's funny because the, the Europeans have some interesting like forestry um, uh, practices, I guess. Um, where there's there's a couple of species that are actually cultivated in like uh, plantations in Europe. Um, boxwood's the one that pops to my mind. Right. Um, there's a gentleman in uh, England by the name of Hugh Crompton. And he, uh, I talked to him a few times, and he manages these boxwood plantations. And I might have told you guys about this, but he manages these boxwood plantations. Um, you know, you think boxwood, it's like a little hedge, right? Like that's the that's the decorative hedges that people plant around their estates in England, I guess. I don't know. But the trees grow extremely slowly. Like, like they take 300 right. years to reach maturity, like where you can harvest them. And, and they still only get six or eight inches in diameter. They don't get big at all. Um, but this guy, Hugh, he, uh, he manages these plantations that were planted in, like, 1752. And he then goes through and selects trees to harvest. Like it's like just what an odd thing. What an odd foresight for somebody to have 300 years ago. Say, hey, you know what? 300 years from now, these dumb woodworkers are going to want boxwood. So let's let's plant these <laughs> plantations. And it, it kind of goes into what you're saying, Phil, because they grow so slow. You're basically planting a boxwood forest. I mean, they they're very right. Uh, interdependent on each other and they grow based on the surrounding tree structure so it's just i don't know it's just it's fascinating to me yeah it is fascinating i remember reading that book and then there was a book that came out a few years ago the um oak the frame of civilization about the uses of oak throughout history uh, and you know not only the uses of the material but just oak forests in general and how that affected culture and the people that lived around them and how they used, uh, used trees. So that was those, you know, kind of that kind of historic part of woodworking is yeah. very interesting to me and curious to know more about it. Cause it's, you know, I, I can identify quite a few wood species, um, when they're in the deli case, so to speak, at a store. But when I'm out in a forest, other than a few by leaves, I can't tell by looking at bark or trunks or things like that, that, you know, other people can. And that is something yeah. that I've been trying to well, learn. Well, and I've, I've definitely picked own. up a lot of that with the sawmilling and working with some arborists. And it's funny because in Iowa, and correct me if I'm wrong, if anybody's listening, correct me 
if I'm wrong, because I'm sure you will. Uh, in Iowa, I don't believe you have to have any arbor uh, arborist certifications. So it, it's very interesting oh. because a certain arborist I'll work with will call one tree something, and then another one will call it something else. So it's it's kind of weird. I mean, sure. John went to school for this, right? Did you have a minor in forestry or something? Yeah. Forest forest products. So like what Phil said, okay. I can identify okay. wood in the deli case when it's cut up, <laughs> but I didn't take any dendrology classes where I was identifying trees or so that's all amateur. Yeah. Uh, See, now my brother stuff. went to school for like a, a natural mm-hmm. resources degree and several of his classes, you know, he had a final exam where it's like they got dropped off in a forest and it you know, and it scavenger was hunt <laughs> real early spring. Yeah. It was like real early spring or late fall or something like that. And it's, you know, go around and it's like point at the trunk of a tree. So there's no leaves really to go by or all the leaves on the forest floor are all kind of mixed together. And it's like, what's that? What's yeah. that? What's that? Mm-hmm. You know? And so yeah. he had, he's pretty good at that to the point where, if I don't know what I'm doing, I just take a picture and text yeah. it to him. And I'm like, what am I looking at? <laughs> yeah. And those classes, you had to learn all the Latin names, yeah. species and all that stuff. And I, I, I had to do that with that, bacteria so. when I was in pre-med. <laughs> that was miserable. And you had to spell it right too. Mm-hmm. And you guys know that I'm a terrible speller as an editor. It's a terrible trait to have, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, uh, yeah. yeah. The, it's interesting because in Iowa, not to beat the subject to death, but uh, like you said, Phil, it's hard to kind of like I know the the common species and the species I'm looking for. So you know the oaks, the red oaks, white oaks, walnuts, ashes. Um, you know those are pretty easy. There's some weird ones that I wouldn't necessarily know just by the bark. I know by the leaf, like Catalpa. Um, I guess locust has a pretty distinctive bark. Um, but looking at like the Iowa state forestry yeah. uh, records and research, Iowa's forests are predominantly um, the most common tree in Iowa's forests are um, hornbeam, which I, mm-hmm. I don't know if I could tell you what a hornbeam tree looks like. If it's the predominant tree in a forest like I had to have seen it, right? But I couldn't tell you what it was. Uh, so it's just, it's weird because it's all you're always finding uh, new and weird stuff uh, from a, a lumber and, and milling standpoint, I guess. So, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Oh, it is. Which I guess is yeah. to me is the fun part of knowing somebody yep. who is a Sawyer, because then it's, you know. Even if it is material that you normally find in a home center or lumber yard, there is a difference in either the figure or the appearance of it, grain pattern, you know, as as opposed to stuff that's, you know, selected for uniformity. Yeah, which is interesting because I was telling you earlier, Phil, before we started this, um, one of the oaks I cut up yesterday, uh, this this stand, it was like a two-acre stand of, of oaks predominantly like northern white oak um there but there's a few that i was like that's an oak i i would have called them a pin oak 
just because I'm an idiot. Uh, but my one my one arborist was like, no, that's a that's a he called it a jack oak is what he called it. And I'm like, I've never heard of that, but hold on, let me pull up the wood database. And they call it a blackjack oak. And I was telling you, Phil, when I when I cut it, it was the nicest, one of the nicest. It was definitely a red oak. Um, it had a pointy leaf, uh, definitely a red oak species. But it was one of the nicest looking red oaks I've ever cut. So I'm gonna have to when I, I'm gonna have to dig through the pile and stack it and, and pull those hmm. aside uh, and send you guys a picture. Um, but you're right when when big production sawmills grab a tree or when they buy when they buy lumber by the the semi load right uh they are trying to get certain species like northern red oak is a is one of the most common red oak species something like this blackjack oak probably wouldn't get mixed in with it but it might um, or it might go to some secondary market where it's not you know, not a lumber yard basically right. that's getting it. Um, but that's, that's like you said, that's the fun part. It's like, this is really cool to know that this is a different species and be able to, to mess around with it. Like, cause you, you can't just go buy it. So it's fun to mess around with sure. it and know with, you know, a fair amount of certainty what it is. So it was just super cool. You guys got me all geeked out this morning already. Jeez. <laughs> 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 now, speaking of oak, John Doyle, uh, mm-hmm. you designed a project just recently that is going to show off the qualities of quarter sawn white oak. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you want to talk about that a little bit? Are we talking about the dresser? The dresser, yes. Um. Well, it's a dresser <laughs> that has drawers, and it's made out of quarter sawn. You white are oak. a. <laughs> Exactly. That was the kind of back. Uh, John, that's the backstory the that I was looking Doyle. for. That's exactly. Yeah. Holds clothes. Yep. Yeah. You were... Have you ever it thought of being back. a color commentator for yeah. a sports broadcast? Does that really paint the picture yeah. mm-hmm. for you? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, based off, like, I think, what did it start with? The it was the gentleman's, gentleman's dresser. dresser from Woodsmith 218 which was i don't know how long ago would that have been let's look 50s 15, now so that would have been seven years ago that was woodsmith 218 you said yeah so that was 2014 2014 so seven years yeah that was right um so it kind of we who ted designed that project the gentleman's dresser yeah, and I just thought I really liked that project. We ended up building it um, season twelve of the Woodsmith shop, and around that time, I thought it would be a good idea to kind of build out a bedroom suite based off of that project. So I think uh, the next project was a bed, kind of craftsman style bed that uh, went with that, and uh, about five issues ago, last year sometime added a nightstand kind of in that same style um so uh this past month i designed a uh dresser uh that that also matches that and just today i finished up a mirror that would also go with that kind of rounding out this bedroom suite that we started so long ago it's kind of like how i build projects this is how i would build a bedroom set for my wife it would start with a bed (laughs) or a 
just one piece. Right. And then five years later, you'd get another piece of furniture, and then a year later, and maybe another piece. So it's like a decade-long process uh-huh. of, of building on a bedroom set. So sure. It's kind of fitting, I guess. So, but I guess what I like no, about it is... Uh, you know, the original piece was designed by Ted, but it was based mm-hmm. off of a stickly design. So it was a historic craftsman piece mm-hmm. that uh, Ted. I think he stuck pretty close mm-hmm. to the stuck pretty close to the script on it. You know, maybe a few mm-hmm. details here and there are changed up on it, but yeah. Yeah, no, I, I really like uh, designing and building furniture in that kind of craftsman stickly style because uh, most of it was quarter sawn white oak, but it's very, the the structure of it's just very simple, straight lines. There might be a few curves or arches in there, but it, it kind of just shows off that the grain of that wood and... Mm-hmm. Um, like it would look totally different if you built it out of plains on well, red oak. Like it would be a yeah. totally different look, right? Or and I think that's that's or, what I was getting else. at. With it's just my very distinctive. Recent yeah. love affair of white oak is how much the the course on white oak aesthetic comes into play in a design because it does really make that style sure. of furniture. Mm-hmm. So, so what are the when you're you know like because you did the bed and the mm-hmm. nightstand now a dresser and you have a mirror i think that you just sent some drawings around on what are you i mean because it's not like you just make the gentleman's dresser smaller and now call it a dresser you right. know a you yeah. know blanket chest or whatever yeah you know, like what are you looking at when you're trying to design uh, within that family um a lot of it was just kind of like the same um scale of parts but in the gentleman's dresser he had a kind of like a four square like window uh type panel um in the doors for that so that was uh those squares are something that i pulled out for the headboard in the bed um and then also at the top of the mirror uh then just like i said a lot of the just scale and parts and uh some of the joinery there was faux uh, I mean, it was pretty beefy tenons, um, more so tenon joinery, but then there was some faux through tenons that kind of added some, you know, texture to the, the top and the sides. So they're just not, I mean, like I said, uh, that that type of furniture is just very straight line, not a lot of, um, uh, you know, decoration. So that just kind of added a little bit more texture and uh, feel to the, the project so that was something that i kind of pulled out throughout the the other projects so and remind me if i'm wrong on this john almost everything in that gentleman's series has been like one inch thick stock right mm-hmm. which yeah. i think is 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 very interesting so i we're all used to using three quarter inch stock and mm-hmm. i like the proportions with that all being one inch thick mm-hmm. yeah it just adds a little bit more beef to it because like you said most of the stuff like that's paneled or is is three quarter inch stock and just adding that extra quarter of an inch really adds a lot of beef and and heft to the projects Mm. 
these. Especially these. if you're trying to yeah. move one of those gentlemen's dressers <laughs> from your workshop into yeah. your son's bedroom. Yeah. Just because then mean, it's all solid wood panels too. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, yeah. Just a lot of, especially with the gentleman's dresser, there was a lot of internal construction as well. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, and it's funny because those, those in particular, those are the, the, the style that's the style of furniture that I've had in mind as I'm, I've been milling this white oak lately. So I've been milling a lot of it at about an inch and an eighth. Okay. Because I want to, I want to have that room to be able to, to leave it maybe seven eighths or one inch thick because I, I like that proportion on that craftsman or stickly style furniture. Right. Mm-hmm. So. No, I can definitely see that. Although I would kind of love to see somebody make that set in walnut because I think that would have a really cool look to it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, you know, maybe at that point you kind of scale down the thickness on some of the parts just because of the walnut being darker. But, <clears throat> you know, I think walnut walnut or cherry would look, you know, really change the flavor of it but would still have a a fun presence to it. See, and to me, that would that like, and this is just complete perception in my mind, would that instantly flip that from like a stickly style piece to lean more towards shaker? Um, Maybe, depending on how clean you went with it. I mean, you could also, I mean, because if you did that and you dropped the faux tenons on it, you could start to peel it a little towards mid-century or... True, true. Um, yeah. You know, I hate to, because I feel like contemporary or modern style is too generic of a phrase, but, sure, you know, just kind of like a clean-lined, almost Scandinavian look to it just by mm-hmm. leaving out a few details. So, anyway, I just thought it was kind of fun to see, uh, see how that project progressed, you know, from being mm-hmm. a... You know, we've done that in the past as Woodsmith quite a bit where it's, you know, whether it's Shaker or Craftsman or, uh, you know, some traditional styles that we've made almost as a reproduction uh, or heavily influenced by. But now to be able to take it and make something else out of it altogether, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for being able to do that skillfully. And I just kind of a shout out to John for being able to do mm-hmm. that. Cause I thought the bed came out, turned really cool. And the nightstand was a cool piece. And even this dresser, I think has a fun, fun look to it. You know, the, any of them would stand well on their own, but put together would be a, an amazing bedroom right. set. So John, let me ask you this. Is it, is it a vertical dresser or is it more like a horizontal, like low chest of drawers type? Uh, it's more of a horizontal low chest of drawers. Cool. It's that's kind I of I think it's like four feet wide. It's got two smaller uh, or narrower five inch drawers on the top, and then uh, two larger cool. uh, drawers on the bottom. So do you guess that has has the tall the tall dresser kind of gone out of style or hmm. because I don't feel like I see them as much anymore. Yeah. Maybe that's just, maybe that's just my tastes have changed and where I look at furniture reflects that. Yeah. But 
I feel like I don't see because I and maybe it's now that I'm a, well, I'm going to put air quotes around adult. So maybe it's because I'm an adult now and (laughs) I don't, I don't, I'm not short, not as short as I used to be. I always felt like dressers were like tall, five foot tall, you know, eight drawers in them. And anytime I ever see one, it was built in the, or made in the early nineties. And I don't feel like I see them anymore. I feel like I see a lot more low modern, I don't want to say modern. Phil told me I can't use the word modern, but you know what I mean? Like a lot of lower chest of drawer style type things yeah i think just here in the u.s bedrooms have gotten bigger and bigger over the Mm -hmm. years so it's not a necessity to have a taller dresser um i still live in my starter house so (laughs) our bedroom isn't as big so we have a couple of taller dressers uh just because we don't have the storage the square footage um to to you know spread out a little bit more so it's a little more efficient for us to have taller dressers but i think just having a shorter dresser is nice because you get, it's easier to put stuff on it then because if you have tall dressers then it's like way up way high. up yeah higher yeah so so i mean i put still put stuff on it <laughs> yeah but it's stuff it's stuff that you don't want sarah to have <laughs> yeah put it up high so she can't reach she does i'm sorry sarah if you listen to this <laughs> Yeah. No, she knows she's okay. short. So uh, so, it's not a so just do, like doing a quick Google search of the term dresser yields about mm, 70 or 80% of them being a shorter horizontal style versus the tall vertical style, Yeah, which is about what I would expect. Uh, and that's kind of a, a combination of that's places you could buy them like Crate and Barrel or Pottery Barn or whatever. So... Mm-hmm. Just kind of an interesting shift that I, I hadn't really thought about until, you know, we started talking yeah. about the gentleman's, well, we don't call it a gentleman's dresser. What do we call that? A gentleman's side Gentle persons. Gentle, gentle persons. Gentle persons. Well, no, I mean, well, that saying, one's more yeah, of like an armoire or a wardrobe kind yeah. of a piece. What, the first one? The first one, yeah. Yeah. But we called it the dresser. Because that's what it was called originally. I know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. It's a traditional gotcha. term. So it was the traditional term. Just like we had that bride's chest. Sure. So do we call it? You know, so there are. This new one, is it like the gentleman's sideboard or something like that? <laughs> well, I was thinking yes. that that dresser, I mean, you could use it as a dresser, but it very easily can be in a living room as a storage mm. piece. Oh, yeah. You know, for, you know, you put your games in it or whatever. You're talking the original one, right? No, the one John oh, okay. just did. Gotcha. The low yeah. one. Gotcha. Okay. You know, yeah. so I was, I kept thinking that that original one would be a really nice liquor cabinet. You know what I mean? Like, yes. it would be expansive. <laughs> you would... <laughs> it would be an alcoholic's <laughs> liquor cabinet. Right. You put a keg in it. <laughs> no, I mean, I, is that a tap handle <laughs> coming out the door of that? I mean, just just because we have this Monterey cupboard that uh, Woodsmith's working on, um, I I've taken a couple of pictures of um, some liquor cabinets that I would like to do one for Pop Wood based on, and I was thinking that that would be. I always thought that the gentleman's dresser, the original one, would make a really cool like liquor cabinet that doesn't look okay. like a liquor cabinet, but yeah, right. That's another uh, series of pieces that I had kicked around. It, you remember the? It was kind of a craftsman style or pub style dartboard. Yes, that we did. Mm-hmm. 
probably 10 years ago, also done on the show, uh, is to like do that uh, liquor cabinet and that Dibsies style. for Pop oh, that would be cool. Dibsies. Okay. Dibsies. <laughs> we already have Sorry, precedent. Sorry, Logan called the first. <laughs> we already yeah. we have precedent Gosh. over an existing plan, and it would fit together yeah. uh, into fine, the, <laughs> the pub suite. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like. and then you, you batch in the pub signs with it? Right. Oh, my God. Plus... Yeah. Plus our poker table and chip case that we did a number of years ago. Ah, uh, that could use an update though. It probably could, yeah, but that's, that's all right. very nineties. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, golden oak. Just cover it in a dark stain; it'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so that's kind of cool. Yep. Uh, now Logan, uh, you had sent this around a little while ago about and and you had I think mentioned it a couple a few weeks ago on a podcast about acquiring a new plane yeah it's right here oh it's so heavy and my arms are so sore from carrying boards so yep so there is the coveted auction purchase from england like look at uh, for everybody watching on youtube if you're not watching you need to go pull up the video just to see these curves on this handle come on like how awesome is what that? I was kind of amazed by when you sent the picture out. Cause at first when you send it, it's like cool generic infill plane, which apparently <laughs> reside under every bridge yeah. in England, <laughs> but here you can't hardly find them. And I thought it was kind of the standard closed tote Mm-mm. at the back. Nope, that is, but it's open not tote, like just some great lines. I will say that it is a small handle for four fingers. Like they're pretty pinched. Right. It's more of a it's more of an English plane with pinky out like that. <laughs> sure. You know, or or time. the yeah. finger out on the side. It's a, it's or a both. three yeah it's a three finger plane or a two finger plane. Um, but yeah, and it's got some it's got some weight. <laughs> like who's it's heavy? Do you know who the maker I is? I don't. On it? Um, the 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 blade on it says Master Brand, warranted Sheffield made. Um, it says salmon with a S A L M E N, which is kind of an interesting spelling. Okay. Um, but no, there is no maker on it. It's stamped F Davies. So if your name is Frank Davies, I have your plane. Um, but there is no other identifying mark on this thing. So um, just I, I don't know. I just like it. I don't. I don't know what to say. It's going to find its way into the toolbox that I'm building for Popwood for this issue. It's it's going to sure. have home, and now I'm going to have to get a, a longer Big Brother. That's going to be a Jack plane. Okay. I mean, I All can right. easily explain that to my wife and tell her it had to happen. So I think the idea of the I don't know the British um, infill is an interesting family tree in hand. Planes. It is, you know, cause we're all familiar with, you know, like the spears or Matheson or, or whatever is yep. being kind of the, you know, like those were the only guys that made them. And it's like, Nope, that's really not the case. They're was, everybody. Say, oh yeah. I, I think I, I don't know this for sure. I'm sure somebody's more knowledgeable about this than I am, but I would assume back in the, Let's call it eighteen late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. 
I would expect that it was very much like it was in the U.S., where there was a lot of tool manufacturers that not only made their own line of tools, like Stanley made Stanley planes, but they also made a generic line for hardware stores. So I'm guessing that that is probably a similar statement in England with infill planes. So, yeah, but so if you're if you're watching this on the radio and you can't see the photos, go to our YouTube channel. You can watch it or see it. Also, I'll have Logan take a few photos and we'll put it on the show notes page that you can find at woodsmith.com slash podcasts. I I will say I I know I've said it before. I know there's all these brand new uh, fancy powdered steels, PMV 11, you know, A1, A2 steel. You give me good old vintage 01 tool steel with a high carbon cutting edge. Like I sharpened this thing up um, just because first thing you open it up, you have to try it. The blade needs right. to reground, but I did put a, put a nice clean edge on there. There you can see it. Um, yep. And nothing sharpens like 01. Like, yeah, it doesn't last as long as some of the harder, fancier steels. But I'll tell you what, you feel like a freaking hero when you sharpen it because it just sharpens so nicely. (laughs) And maybe that's why many people hate sharpening. I've never understood why people hate sharpening, but maybe it's because they're trying to sharpen hard steel and they're not they're not sharpening good 01 tool steel. So, yeah. Could be. Yep. So there she is in all her English glory put her off to the side so she can go have tea time and I can stop holding that 12-pound bowling ball. All right. You guys got anything you want to talk about? I mean, I have a whole list of stuff here. But... Well, I did break a tool. Not really break a tool. I showed this when... I think I showed this when Colin was on because he said he also has a shop gavel. Right. I took the head of my oh. gavel off on purpose... Because I don't need a shop. And, and you were afraid of destroying it. I was it. afraid of breaking it, yes. I was very afraid of breaking it. But <clears throat> I mentioned that when I bought this, it was 4 bucks, And I bought it because I thought it was ebony. But I really bought it because I loved the shape of this handle. And it's really dark. And there's a lot of backlight coming through this window. But there's some nice details. Just a beautiful shape. So what's going to happen is it's going to get a new head. It's going to get a brass head on it. Um, I have some brass at home. I'm going to chuck it in my wood lathe, and I'm going to turn a brass head for this as an adjuster for planes. All right. Maybe the plane you just bought. Very, very possibly the plane I just bought. I I will say that just by itself, the handle looks like it came straight from Ollivander's. That's what I was going to say. It's like you could turn that into a nice wand. But you hold it big end. It's ebony. Little dragon heart string and Mm -hmm. you know, phoenix feather or something. Speaking speaking of which, I got a chance to review a book. Can I talk about a book I reviewed real quick? I got a chance to review a book from. Let me tell you who it's. From. It's it's actually a it's a book by a handful of authors, um, and it is the art of wand making. It's the compendium of wooden wand making techniques. Uh, it is by Fox Chapel. 
Um, So I got a digital copy of the book, and I got to read through it. And it's super fun. Like, I know a lot of people make wands for gifts, for kids. They sell them on Etsy, for cosplay, for all that jazz. Um, But it was a fun little book to to read, and I got to give a little back cover blurb on it so it was pretty cool yeah <laughs> shake your head at me phil <laughs> i'll shake my head at you so it was kind of cool so i have turned i have turned a couple wands for um i have two goddaughters um and i made they asked me to make them wands, so i made them wands a couple of years ago some purple heart wands so that was kind of fun sweet I like it. One thing that I wanted to talk about was Woodsmith has a new issue that is in people's hands right about now. Issue number 255. We always know when the new issue reaches readers based on customer service emails and calls. Because we usually have people calling in asking, hey, where can I find, or what was the finish you used on, or all that kind of stuff. So uh, one of the things we do around here is we have a customer service department that handles a lot of the billing, subscription, promo kind of stuff, and they do a fantastic job of that. But when it comes to tech service questions, as a staff, we rotate through Uh, We each have a two-week term, sentence, whatever, where we answer those emails that come through on that. And our very own Dylan Baker just happened to draw a short straw this time around. So he's been getting a lot of comments based on the current issue that's out. So I laugh because I am now off of that schedule, (laughs) which (laughs) means I'm the only Popwood customer service right so i get it all the time but yeah there's no kicking it down the road with you oh there's always (laughs) kicking it down the road but it's a little more personal now yeah yeah so anyway 255 is the number for it that just came out and the cover project was a chess set and you actually wrote that article i did yeah it's funny Somebody just asked me, who was that? Oh, I was just, when I was in Cedar Rapids sawing, the guys I was sawing for asked me if we had a chess plan. And I said, oh, oh yeah. you know, you drive right down the road. To, I don't know if we're at in Tyson's or not. If Woodsmith sold in Tyson's around here, I don't remember. Uh, uh, I but anyways, it's like, yeah, actually, in the most recent issue, there is a chess set that I wrote. Um, and it was, I thought it was a really cool one. I did too, because there's, I feel like there's usually one of two ways that chess sets Mm -hmm. go. One is it's this super ornate, um, put it in a Victorian house, veneer and encrusted with moldings kind of chess set, or the kind of folded up travel sort of basic box. Mm-hmm. And we've done both of those, and they each have their place. But I found I thought that Chris found like a really nice middle of the road 
nice looking chess set, but didn't look like something that was going to take months to complete. Yeah. The one thing that I liked about this and the one thing that I don't want to say we, uh, the one thing that I wish we could have shown a little bit more, but you can't really show it in a, in an article, but we have video of Mark making them is the pieces because this was a very cool one where if, if you don't do a lot of turning or you don't have a ton of time, chess pieces can be intimidating because there's a, there's a lot of them B there's a lot of turning involved or there's a lot of carving or handwork involved. Right. Yeah. But I think, Chris and Mark did a really nice job on this one, um, making them very approachable. Mark, mm -hmm. self-admittedly, is not a turner, and he turned all of them, and they turned out very nice. Uh, I, I really like the pawns on these because yeah. they have, like, little football-shaped helmets on right. them, or they are football-shaped helmets. Um, now I have a weird desire to build, like, a Spartan versus Persian chess set. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like based on the <laughs> based yeah. on the the story of the three hundred, um, right. but no, I thought it was a really cool one. Uh, it turned out nice. Yeah, you know. And I guess what I liked about it too is you know we've done a bunch of chess boards, mm -hmm. but we've never done chess chess pieces for Correct. that very reason. Correct. Because you know, like the board is one project, and each set of pieces is essentially their own project. You know, and like you said. It can be tough because you want all of your pawns to look consistent. You know, you want your rooks and bishops to be consistent. You know, so that mm -hmm. as you look at them, it's not like they're very different size. But, you know, like you said, Mark, not being a turner, was able to do that mm -hmm. fairly, fairly easily, yep. I would say. I mean, I don't want to simplify the project. You know, it does take care and practice on it, but... Yeah, it was it was doable for sure. So, aside from the chess set, what else did we have in that issue? It feels like such a long time ago. I know that was the other part that I was going to say is you know that's how we know it, but because when we get to the end of an issue, we're ready for it to be done. We've been living mm -hmm. with it for how long, and it just seems like it's ready to go. That was the one that also had the uh, Chris's crooked knives. Yep. That had the sewing table. Yeah, I like that project. And the arm, the kids' armoire cabinet. Oh, yeah. The bathroom organizer. Yep. The sewing table I thought was interesting because when you think sewing table, I think more of a contemporary, you know, usually has like a fold-down place for a sewing machine. Mm -hmm. But, again, here's one of those ones where it's a project – based off of an old time name and that it was a, a sh inspired by a shaker piece where they had did sewing, but it wasn't necessarily on a singer sewing machine. It was, mm -hmm. you had all your sewing supplies in the drawers and on the backside is a flip up work surface for you to do hand stitching. Yep. Well, see, I think it's interesting that when a particular style of furniture is shown that I'm interested in, immediately that project speaks to me, even though I have no desire to own one. 
like I don't need a sewing table. My mm-hmm. wife has a like in our office. She has a section of our office that is her sewing and craft center, I guess. Um, so we don't need one. But instantly, because it's a shaker design, I love it. Like, oh yeah, I want to build it. Mm-hmm. I have no yeah. desire for it or need it, but yeah. Well, yeah. Usually, I look at stuff like that. and It's like I don't do any sewing, and I don't need a sewing table. But that would make a really nice buffet yeah, right. or occasional table. Like you yep. know, I'm looking at you know how could I scale that for my purpose or change the the purpose of it a little bit so it would fit into what I need. Or so I always they usually speak to me, but I'm like tweaking it to, for right. for how I would yeah. use it. Yeah, and that's where I feel like sometimes that. You know, we're using it as a historic reference for the original name for it, but the title of it can get in the way of its functionality. That's, if, yeah, completely true. Yeah. Kind of like looking at the, the Monterey liquor cabinet that's coming out in the next issue. It's like, if I didn't need it as a liquor cabinet, it would surely make a nice buffet mm-hmm. or, you know, that kind of storage. Or you could knock the top off of it and it would make a nice, um, you know, same thing, buffet yeah. or you know some sort of other storage yeah. uh, unit. Well, and I I feel the same way about um, one of the projects in this issue of Woodsmith, um, which is that armoire. We call it a youth armoire, right? And it was it was funny when when we did the photos, the way that this got staged and propped was not how I was expecting, and it's not how a lot of people were expecting. We were expecting it to be more you know, uh, shown in like a children's room with like trophies and maybe clothes and something that could get built for a younger kid, but grow with them so they could, you know, take this to college and use it as a dresser in their college or an armoire in their college dorm room. Right. And when it got photographed, it got photographed, like it was kind of like a, almost like a garage storage type thing. Like a, a locker. locker. Yeah, like yeah. like a landing zone right outside the door from your house to your garage or something. Which, the more I think about it, the more that that type of use appeals to me. So when we call it an armoire, you know, I do like seeing it in that setting because it's like, oh, you know what? Yeah, you're right. I don't really need this because it's big. It's a big one. It's tall. It's, yeah. it's, it's very I tall. I think it's six feet for sure. Yeah. Oh, easily. Yeah, I think it's – yeah. But anyways um, – the uh yeah the sides are 70 70 and a half inches so um but yeah if you don't need storage it would make or if you don't need storage in your bedroom like an armoire would be it would make a great landing zone right outside the garage door for golf clubs or tennis rackets or you know baseball gear or whatever like that type of stuff that usually ends up piled on the steps that you trip over as you're going out into the garage Right. Yeah. I I guess I also like the fact that it was, it, you know, it's tall, but it's not super wide Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of storage options in it. So it's not like two big doors that open up into a cavernous space of nothingness, you know, or the entry world to another dimension. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there are shelves, there's a hanging rod, closet rod in one side, the four drawers, you know, adds a little way to organize some stuff. So I just, you know, yeah, again, it's one of those things where it's like, we have to call it something, Mm -hmm. but there are so many possible ways for it. And I also like the way that uh, Dylan was the designer on it and he took a different 
approach to it so that it's um it's not a traditional style or it's not trying to be you know fit in with some kind of historic design motif um but it's built solidly i guess i i was looking at it and i was thinking like this is what ikea furniture really wants to be yes and not in like a derogatory way right no i mean as far as the design goes like it's 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 well done but yeah it looks like if you wanted you very easily could make it fairly knocked down with connector bolts and stuff you know yeah, what I mean? if you wanted so, to but yeah um so yeah i i agree it's very it's upscale ikea right it's what ikea is supposed to be <laughs> yeah because it's clean lined you know balances you know sheet materials like plywood and using some veneer yep. and continuous grain but, on the veneer on the drawer mm-hmm. fronts pretty right. nice yeah and then you had an article about Matt Cremona's chair kits in there. Yeah, and actually, I was over there this morning um, showing a photographer around, and I still have one of those sitting in the, the photo studio that I need to get. Um, yeah, so our friend Matt Cremona, uh, even though he's a butthead for stealing that cherry log out from underneath me, uh, <laughs> it's too, it was too big for my mill anyways. No way. Uh, but anyways, uh, he came up with this interesting concept uh, probably almost a year ago, and I'm sure it was in the works longer than that, that uh, right at the beginning of COVID happened to be the perfect time to launch this. Um, he started working with a manufacturer that manufactures kitchen chair or chairs for restaurants. So like dining chairs. So you think of right. a restaurant, you know, it has 80 tables. Each table has four chairs. You know, that's a lot of chairs. Like, like there's companies that do that for a living. Uh, so he worked with them to create four or five different styles of chairs out of a number of species of each. Uh, so you can order these chair kits from Matt Cremona's website. And basically what shows up is a small box. I'm going to say small. It's like 12 inches wide, maybe six inches tall by four foot long. So it's not a huge box, but uh, they are these chair kits that you put together. Uh, basically, they are in the stage where they are ready for sanding, final fitting, and finish. So it takes away right. all the joinery work, all the cutting, and all the milling out of it. So all you're doing is, is kind of the fun stuff, like the, the finishing touches, the assembly, and the, the finishing isn't always a fun thing, but uh, you can... Um, very quickly put together a set of chairs because it's something we've talked about before. You know, if you build a dining room table, that's one big project that you just knocked out. But if you're going to build a set of eight dining room chairs, that's eight medium sized projects. You know, even if you're building them together and you have the efficiencies of building multiples, it's still a lot of projects. And I would venture to the guess that most people opt to buy dining room chairs. Wouldn't you guys think? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's with chairs. There's all kind of oh, yeah. jigs you have to make and different templates, like specialty usually, like setups. Usually, and, angle yeah, joinery like, in there that can yeah, sometimes curves psych people and angles out. So, and, yeah. So this is yeah. This is nice that you can buy mm-hmm. raw chair kits 
and and match to a table that you've built rather than trying to buy commercially made chairs and then kind of match the finishes yep. or styles yeah. or you know whatever or settling it's, with it's whatever you, you most get. The way well, and, there. and yeah. here's so. there's two two thoughts that I have on these kits after install or after assembling them and finishing them and stuff and and using one in my house for a number of months now. First, the the one I have which is style 4 um, and he sent Matt sent me the uh, he has some armchair kits or he, let me rephrase that he has armchair uh, he has armrests available for each kit now I don't think he has them on his mm. website yet um, so uh, you can send him angry emails if you can't get the armrests yet uh, but I put the armrests on the one I have at my house and I will tell you what I could sit in that chair all day. Like it is super comfortable. The style four that I have is is very tall. Um, it's a high back chair. I think the the back height is like thirty five inches or thirty eight inches. Like it's very tall, but it is wow super comfortable. No, it's taller than that. Sorry, forty five, forty eight inches, something like that. Um, but anyways, uh, it's a very formal chair, but the curvature on it is perfect. It's so comfortable to sit in. Um, so that's my first thought on it. Second thought is uh, some people might have a, I don't want to say sticker shock, but they might be taken back a little bit by the pricing on them. But I think the chair kits range and I could be wrong. I'll pull it up quick. So I give people the right number. But if you think about what you put into a chair, as far as time goes, as far as material cost goes, right? Um, I think you have much more invested in them than you realize. And I don't, have you guys bought right. chairs recently uh, from somewhere? I haven't because the set that we have around the dining, see, and I built a dining room table. Sure. That was my wedding gift for my wife. Um, but we ended up, we had mixed match chairs for a while and then ended up getting a set from sure. Sam's, you know, like 300 years ago. And I don't, you know, yep. they were fine and they're okay. Gotcha. They're not my fave. Um, but so I, what would you guys expect to pay for a chair? Like if you go to the store, I, I'm just, I don't, I don't know. I've never bought chairs. Yeah. I don't know. I, we purchased our table and chairs two or three kids ago. So that's probably yeah. 10, well, 15 years ago. So it's like. But I'd expect it to be several hundred dollars yeah. for the cheapest. So Matt's kits, you know. um, I'm just looking at style four right now. Um, they, depending on the species you choose. Um, so the maple is $230 per chair. And the walnut is 315 So they vary depending on species. I don't think, right. I mean, you buy a, if you're buying a set of four chairs, it will be between eight and $1,200. Um, maybe a little bit more if you're buying the armrest kit with them, um, which to me seems like a lot for chairs. But again, if you think about if I'm going to build those and I'm going to buy the material, material for each chair is going to run 150, 200 bucks. I'm guessing. Um, mm, pretty and close. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now yeah. anyway, plus all the, yeah. the bits and blades and stuff. Yeah. You'll need and, and yeah, steam bending some make, of the stuff. And... You're going to steam bend them. So what I'm getting yeah. at is, I think they're like even though they have a uh, a price that some people might be taken aback by. I think they're yeah. a pretty dang good value 
especially for how comfortable right. they are. Like I'm like, oh, it's my captain's chair. It sits at the head of my table. It's awesome. I love it. And <laughs> yeah. I, there's been a few re, or a few yeah. podcast listeners that have stopped over by lumber and stuff, and I've kind of shown them around. And I've had a couple of them sit in it, and a couple the, everybody that sits in it, it's like, holy cow! Like an all wood chair, yeah. you wouldn't expect to be that comfy, and it really is. So right. So. Yeah, no, I thought it was a pretty reasonable price for for what you got, and I thought the wood quality was really good. It wasn't like a bunch of mismatched grain and pieces no, of walnut or that's like here's a chair, put it all together. It was you know thoughtfully yeah, done right. and and looked uniform and nice and high yeah. quality. And I guess so. that's what's really going to yeah, make so it stand it, out from the low yeah. end stuff that you're going to buy somewhere else, where it's just like. These yeah. are the next four legs on the pile, so they get put into this chair. And... Right. It's all the snouts and hooves <laughs> kind of put together <laughs> to make a hot dog. Yeah. So, yeah, like, and that's that's a great point, John, is is the quality of the wood. And I think I talked about it in the article. The quality of the wood was really, really nice. I got the walnut one. Um, it was very nice. Uh, and you're right. I think if the because it's a solid wood seat that's sculpted um you know has the butt cheek curves Mm -hmm. cut into it and stuff um i think if you would go and buy like a a mass-produced wooden chair like that um you're probably gonna get the seat that has those like glue finger joints where the board ends meet because they're just making Mm -hmm. a mass quantity of these um so you know, I'm. I was very, very impressed with them. So yeah, just a quick look at Wayfair.com. I'm not saying that this is where. <laughs> this isn't the best place to to base it off of, but it looks like dining chairs range from you know 125 to 400, 500 dollars a piece. Mm-hmm. So I think it's right in line, great value, um, and I always like supporting the small guys or the small businesses. Right. Um, so. I know. I think Matt put a lot of time into developing yeah. these kits. I mean, and there's nothing to say that you can't customize the kit further in terms of you know no, decorative finishes or I mean, even if you wanted to, like every all the heavy lifting has been done, but you could add carved details or accents or you know, it's wood. Change the shape mm-hmm. of it if you want it to you know blend in with a different style or you know add something that makes it fit in more with your table or your dining room set other pieces that yeah, kind of absolutely. thing. So, all right, that's it for I mean 255 I thought was a pretty cool issue. Uh if you don't already subscribe, it's available on the newsstand right now since a lot of places are opening up or you can subscribe woodsmith.com. That wraps up another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. If you have any questions, comments or smart remarks, we'd love to hear them. You can leave them in the comments section on our YouTube channel. Or you can email us, woodsmith at woodsmith.com. Otherwise, we'll see you again next week for another episode of the Shop Notes Podcast. Bye, everybody. This episode of Shop Notes Podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Plans. You'll find nearly a 1,000 plans covering everything that you'd want to build. From furniture projects to gift projects, kitchen accessories, workshop projects and jigs and more. Find your next project at woodsmithplans.com.